turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start reading in the fourth verse. The thought this morning is, for we are his workmanship. Starting with verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we have read your word where it says that hmm, our salvation is not of ourselves, but even more, Lord. Even more, in verse 10, we are drawn to the reality that um, we have been saved to do good works that our love one to another and that our love for you is a sign that inside the believer we are spiritually awake. Lord, I pray that you'll help us see even more this morning what it means to proclaim to be saved. It means that there is a life change a change in nature, a new course set before. We were not saved to stagnation, but we were saved to produce good works, even as you did, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll stir our hearts this morning. Awake us to the truth of your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with those who are unable to be with us this morning and gather here to worship, Lord. We pray that you strengthen them, heal them, and do your work. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. It's said in the Vatican City that endless amount of people travel there uh, to this Vatican City in Italy to see all of the artistry that's on display. One of the main places that soon as people arrive there, it seems that they make the dash there to see that of the Sistine Chapel and all of its construction, and all of its painting. It was said of the Sistine Chapel in 1508 that the Pope had uh, hired Michelangelo to set out to and paint the entire ceiling of the chapel. For the next four years, he would paint nine scenes from the entire Bible. It was said that he never even looked at the artistry from the ground, but he always was within a few inches of each painting as he painted it. This says that in the Sistine Chapel that there is a placard on the bottom crying out, playing out that Michelangelo was the artist who painted that ceiling. All the credit goes to him. 
This is a very common practice even in our day to day. When you see a painter, when you see a painting, what do you see in the bottom of the painting? The signature of the painting. When you see a sculptor, you see that he's engraved his name into the sculpture. Even with our bags that a lot of the designer bags that ladies carry today, the, the signature of the designer is in the bag seeking to draw credit to themselves. Here in verses 8, 9, and 10, we see that well, in verse 10, he, he says that we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. It is to say that what we have read in verses 8, 9, and 10, it is that Paul is drawing the eyes of the reader and the hearer to the bottom signature of our great salvation. And he says, we are of God's workmanship. We are his workmanship. He really begins to flesh out in 8, 9, and 10 what we had seen in verse number 5. Remember when we said that he kind of blurted it out at the end of verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. In verses 8 here, Paul starts out by giving us a positive. In verse 9, he gives us a, a negative. But in verse 10, he shows the author of this great salvation. It's that in verse 10, he, he almost takes a step back in amazement and a breathtaking view of what God has done in the life of unregenerate mankind. So we return to verses 8 and 9 to, to see the brushstroke, so to say, to, to get a better understanding. And as many travel thousands of miles to see Michelangelo's magnificent masterpiece, in verses 8, 9, and 10, show us about our great God who traveled thousands of miles to perform a masterpiece in each and every one of us. The first stroke we see, he says, is, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And this is really a continuance on of what we closed out last week in verse 7. That in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. So the, the showing of this richness, the showing of this kindness, the, the, the exceeding riches of his grace has been manifested amongst us. How? Through this great salvation. Grace, we know, is this unmerited favor of God that we've experienced in our lives. And so we ask ourselves, how did he show the exceeding riches of his grace towards us? Through grace you are saved. That is how it is showed in each and every one of us. But I love the way that he really constructs this verse number 8. 8, 9, and 10 are really to take the believer and arrive at a place where we are rendered helpless. It's like even more. In verse 5, he said, even when we were dead in sins, meaning unable, even when we were in sins, certainly unworthy, he quickened us together with Christ. So now here in verse number 8, what does he do here? For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. 
If you was to, I don't know if you do, if you have a Bible that's able to journal or take notes, uh, you can underline that specific word, that. For by grace you are saved through faith and that. Now, not to offer any lessons on Greek at all here, but it brings us to an understanding of what Paul is trying to teach us here about verse number 8. The word that there is in the feminine form. So it says, for by grace you are saved through faith and that. That is connecting. But what is it connecting to? Well, many will say, well, it's connecting to faith. But you can't connect it to the word faith. Because the word faith is the word pistis. This is the noun form. Even more than being a noun form, it's in the neuter form. Which means it cannot connect that to it. So what does this mean even more? It means that this word that, for by grace are ye saved through faith in that. This word that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Paul is drawing emphasis that both grace and faith are not of yourselves. Now, to understand, like I said, the word faith is from the Greek word pistis. It's the noun form of belief. So you could even say, for by grace are ye saved and believed. This, not only the fact that you received grace, which you didn't deserve, it was not of you, it was not of yourselves, but even the ability to believe, that was not of yourselves either. It was also the gift of God. It makes it even further more when he says in verse 9, lest any man should boast. So for by grace are ye saved in the believing, and that's what it means, through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, some like to say that faith is mine and grace is God's. And this is a true statement in the sense that man has the human responsibility to repent. We're called to repent. We must confess with our mouths and believe in our heart. But the ability is what Paul is stationing is from God. Even more, we've seen in Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 29. Remember when we went through Philippians, Paul said, it is for, for it is given unto you in the behalf of Christ. Listen to what he says. It's given unto you on the behalf of Christ. Given as a gift. What was given as a gift? Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. He brings us back to the reality that he was given not only as a gift to suffer for the cause of Christ, but it was given as a gift to even be able to believe on him. Paul further emphasizes this in verse number 9. Why would God do this? Why would God design it in this manner? Why would God make it in the situation that both grace and believing on him is the gift of God? Because in verse 9, he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul's view is, is that if there's anything that you did as a part of your salvation, as sure as could be, enslaved in this carnal flesh, we'll find ourselves braggadociously lifting ourselves up that we somehow brought about salvation that we somehow brought about ourselves when we were dead in trespasses and sins, brought ourselves to the reality that we were in desperate need of Christ. 
We live in an age where everybody wants to brag about their self-made millionaires, that all their success was because of them. Nobody helped me get here. Not my mommy, not my daddy. I did it all by myself. But Paul here says in this matter, when it comes to grace, when it comes to faith, both are gifts from God and you did nothing at all. What is done, it has brought man to a place where they cannot boast of anything themselves, and in return, and in return because he is unable to boast about anything in himself, it turns all the boasting and glory back to whom it deserves, to whom deserves it, and that is God. God is the one who handcrafted all of this alone. He alone remains at the center of the praise. There's a story that was told of a revival that was going on out west. And it was the last night of the revival. And there was a man who had made it there to the revival a couple of days earlier in the week. And throughout the week had become greatly burdened about his spiritual condition. He, it was the last week of the revival. It was a Friday night. And he said, as soon as I get done with work, I'm rushing there. And of course, as it always goes, when you have plans, work asks you to stay over. After he got done with his overtime, he rushed to the revival and was brokenhearted when he seen that they were taking the tent down. As they were taking the tent down, he was frantic, realizing that he needed to be saved, realizing that he, he just wanted to speak to someone, realizing that the evangelist was gone. He finally cried out to one of the men who were taking the tent down and said, what can I do to be saved? The worker who was a Christian replied, you can't do anything. It's too late. The man I said, what do you mean? How can it be too late? The worker replied, it's everything that needed to be done had already been accomplished on Calvary's hill. All you need to do is believe it. The gospel strikes at the heart of the world's false religions. Some religions say today it takes meditation. Some religions today see as it takes, says it takes labor. Some say it takes a priest. Some say it takes baptism, but at their core, they are religions that point to what man has accomplished in himself. But the gospel prevents all from rejoicing in themselves and turns our eyes to Christ. He says in verse 9, not of works lest any man should boast. For, in verse 10, we are his workmanship. Now, for, this word for in verse 10, renders the reason of the previous statements. It is to say that, for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For, we are his workmanship. You see, if we had anything to do with eight and nine, Verse 10 wouldn't be true. If we had anything to do with our great salvation, verse 10 would say, for we and God together synergistically are his workmanship. But it's not so. For we are his workmanship. I mean, could you imagine 
If you was to fly all the way over to the Vatican, arrive there in the Sistine Chapel and assign your name to the bottom of the placard that attributes the paintings to the and the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel to Michelangelo and you signed your name below that. Could you imagine what would happen? People would go crazy. They would go mad. They would throw you out in the placard with it because you have sought to rob the the uh, constructor, the painter, the artist, the one who painted this amazing painting in the ceiling. You sought to rob him of his glory. So he says, for we are his workmanship. We're not our own masterpiece. I know we like to think in our own lives, like maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we don't view ourselves as a, a masterpiece. We don't view ourselves as a perfect work. We don't even view ourselves as something worth receiving glory. But this word workmanship, it comes from the Greek word poemo. Matter of fact, if you listen to it, you can almost hear the English word poem. He says, for we are his workmanship. We are his poemo. We are something that God is composing, and we are something that God has composed. We're something that God has orchestrated and who is orchestrating. We're something that is made. We're something that is designed. That which, has some, this, that which someone has taken time as they have worked upon it. We are his poema. Now, this points to the reality when we see for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So Paul says there is a specific desire. There is a specific designer working in our life. When we read verses 1 through 3, we've seen that the designer that was working in our life was the prince and the power of the air, uh, the spirit of a disobedience. But now, but now there is a new spirit working within us. There is a designer even in our lives. Michelangelo was once asked as he was chipping away at a shapeless rock what he was doing. He said, I'm liberating an angel from the stone. That's what God is doing with us. We are in the hands of a great sculptor, the ultimate sculptor, the sculptor who has never thrown a stone away that he began to work on. I know that in our lives we like to view ourselves when we make mistakes, that we, when, we make fa- when we make failures in our lives, we like to become so discouraged that that's it. I've ruined it. I've wrecked it. I'm done. God cannot do nothing with me. But that's not what verse number 10 says, and that's not what Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has never stopped the sculpting process in our lives. This is the continued path of sanctification in the life of the believer. Even when we make mistakes, God is at work in our lives. We are in the hands of the Almighty. This sculpting process in our life comes from not only the Holy Spirit, it comes from the Word of God, and it comes from 
uh, through uh, keeping our eyes focused upon Christ. Even in the days when it seems that we face the tragedies of this life, when we hear the, the words that we don't want to hear in our lives, like we have cancer. Even when we face the realities of people who mock us like David did when Shimei mocked him as he walked along the mountainside. Even in those moments, we have great confidence that though we are being buffeted by the world, though this flesh is being plagued by the effects of sin, we have never left the sculptor's hand that God is still working in us, that we are still his poemo, that we are still being constructed, that we are still being configured to do something for him, even amidst our failures. Not only, does we, not only do we see here that there's a specific designer, meaning God, but verse 10 tells us something all the more that we were constructed for a specific or special, so to say, designation. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You see the specific design here, unto good works. There are some who like to say that, you know, us who believe in eternal security like to teach people that all you have to do is come forward and pray and repeat this prayer, and then you could go out and live in the world however you want, and it doesn't even matter at all. But that's truthfully the furthest thing from what we believe. We believe once saved, always saved. We absolutely believe that you're eternally secure after salvation. But we believe that at salvation, that there's new desires within us. We believe that the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 are gone from us, that we're no longer walking with the prince of the power of the earth, that we're no longer living in this world, that we're no longer walking as children of disobedience, but we have a new desire, that we have a, a new walk, that we now walk after our heavenly Father. One preacher made a point on this topic here that in times past, historically, if your father was a carpenter, more than likely the son was a carpenter. If your father was a blacksmith, more than likely the son was a blacksmith, and, and in the same in reverse. If you was to see a young lad who was a blacksmith, it was of certainty that his father was probably a blacksmith. And if you've seen a young man who was a carpenter, his father was more than likely a carpenter. And so it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is exactly what they said about our Lord. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, what did they say about our Lord? That he went about doing good works. And this is exactly what we are created to in this new life. 
when the world looks upon us and sees us doing good works, when the world looks upon us and sees that we're no longer living the life that we used to live, when we're no longer involved in the things that we were used to be involved in, when they see that there's something unique about us, they recognize that we have a different father. It brings them to the place where they question us, why aren't you like this? I'm about my father's business. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, my father was about doing good works, preaching the truth, giving the gospel. He, he went about doing good. Even more in verses 8 and 9, Paul set out to extract any thought of works from the conversation. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He set out to extract that from the very beginning, but now he now inserts it again. When it comes to salvation, works is not involved at all. But when it comes to proof of salvation, works is on the forefront. It's disturbing when people say that they are saved and yet they're out living in the world. It's disturbing when people say they have this new life in Christ and they love Christ, and yet you can't find them in the house of God, you can't find them in the word of God, or speaking the truths of God. It's troubling. Works. It, we're called to bear witness in the newness of life. A very common verse to us is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Even more. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that life as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also shall walk in newness of life. This new life is, is one of works. I'm troubled when people say that they believe that they are saved, but the reason that they are not more committed to the Lord is because of something they've done in their past. I'm not more committed. I can't get more serious because of that which I've done, you know, prior to being saved or because I've made these mistakes. What a hopeless faith. What a hopeless faith that you would actually set out to say that you can't do more for God, that you'll say, listen, I believe that God has enough in him to save me, but not to sustain me, not to sanctify me, not to bring me to the place where I'm of value in ministry. Well, that's a hopeless faith. It's a false faith. We are his poemo. Even we are his workmanship. We are under construction. Even in mistakes, God is sanctifying us to bring us about as a vessel. Even as we've seen in last week, that even in the ages of, to come, we will stand forth as a trophy in the trophy case of God's exceeding riches of his grace upon us who believe. Even more, it's troubling when you see people who proclaim to be saved, yet they're not producing fruit. The truth is, is that there's a bunch of professing Christians who never produce a life of doing good, not because they've sanctified, not, not because they've frustrated the path of sanctification, 
because of their mistakes. Not because they frustrated the path of sanctification because of bad decisions they've made since they've been saved. But the real problem is that many people who aren't producing fruit is simply because they're faking their own salvation. It sounds good to them, but they're not troubled at the fact that they have no fruit. They're not troubled at the fact that they're not desiring to do anything good for God. It is common for professing Christians to not do good, and that is heartbreaking in and of itself. I grow tired of people, even I was talking to a brother the other day who was speaking to me about this person who had set out on a tirade on the Internet, just slandering these group of believers who did this, that, and the other. I hate social media for that. But in the reality, it broke my heart, not because I thought the unbeliever was wrong. I thought if there was any truth to what the unbeliever said, it grieved me. That Christians can become so pious that we forget our purpose. That we can lift our no, so high in the sky that we forget even why we are here. It's not about us no more. This new life in Christ is about others. And the closer we get to Christ, the more we become like Christ, the more our ministry will look like his. You don't find Christ in the New Testament wondering about saying, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to take care of myself? I need to look out for myself here. It was a selfless life. And even more, we are called to be like him in this selfless life. So he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Works are to salvation what thunder is to lightning. It is the inevitable result. Just as thunder does not generate lightning, our good deeds will never generate salvation. But on the other hand, just as you can't have lightning without the following thunderclap, you can't experience the transformation of salvation without a change in your attitudes and behaviors. And those changes are a gradual process, as we said, in the path of sanctification. The longer I live, the more is my desire to be more like Christ. The, more, the longer I live, the, the more he'll continue to work on me, producing a masterpiece. What is this masterpiece? That we will be like him. Notice last year, lastly here, the supreme determination of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Did you see that? This is interesting. We are his masterpiece, right? He's working on us. He's chipping away the edges to produce this masterpiece in us. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Okay, all right, so we understand this. That we were this new work in Christ unto good works. 
But the closing part is this, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see that? Our good works was a prior ordination of God. It was before ordained. It was predetermined. It was established beforehand. If we are determined to walk in good works, I guess we could say that the next time that we preach the gospel to someone, we should step back and walk away and evaluate our own lives and ask ourselves how much our lives are preaching the same gospel that we just verbalized. Do people look at us and say, ah, behold, God's masterpiece? Do they really look at us and say, wow, I can really see that God is doing something in their life? Do we, do, do we believe that? I mean, we know what Matthew says in 5.16, let your light show shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do we really believe when the world looks at us that they can see that we are in newness of life, that we're under construction, that we're producing that which is godly in our lives? You know, we was talking about even before the morning services, after Sunday school, before the morning services, about opportunities to share the gospel. You know, when people say, well, I mean, what do you mean? It was ordained that we should walk in him, that he hath, which God hath ordained these opportunities. They were predetermined. They were, it's like the choir book, the hymn book. They were written down before time, but we come to them and sing them. God had ordained, predetermined, and aforetime good works in which we could walk in them. But when opportunities come about to promote good works, to do good deeds, to share the gospel, and we fail to do them, it doesn't mean that God did not determine. It did not mean that God didn't ordain opportunities for us to do good. It means that we've chose to follow our own way. It means that we have chose to, to follow our own path, our own course. But it does not mean God has failed to give us the opportunity to be in ministry to him. We are God's workmanship. He alone has signed this in our lives. And if... You know, even in our own lives, as I was studying this, my heart began to break in different areas, in my, even in my own life. I, I want to be closely walking with the Lord. But in reality, there are times in my life where I feel like I'm far away from God. And that's what we're going to cover even this evening. What to do when your heart is far from God. But every day, Every day, it should be the striving of our hearts that when the world looks upon us, they maybe even if they knew who he was beforehand, that as they look upon us, they say, wow, listen, I, I found this to be one of the greatest compliments that I've received yet since I've been saved. 
a man said, well, listen, I don't, I don't buy all the religion stuff, but I agree that you're different. Amen. God is at work in my life. God is at work in our lives. Not that we ain't going to struggle. We're going to struggle. But we are still under construction. Remember that. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this morning, Lord. Remind us in our hearts, Lord, that we are your workmanship. That you alone are chiseling away at us to produce something of value, Lord, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'll set upon us in our hearts, give us the burden, the desire to preach your word, to teach your word, to magnify your name to this lost and dying world. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.